one. 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 I don't believe that anybody's beyond forgiveness, but I think that doesn't mean that you shouldn't challenge the injustice that's been perpetrated. When people sit down together who hold opposing views, they recognise not only their differences, but the things they hold in common. We have monthly activities for elderly. We try and address the need of our community at the point of need. This is One Voice. Because we're all the same. Hello, and a very happy new year. I wonder if you saw this in the last week or two. The Reverend Romeo Pedro wrote a collection of words on his Facebook page. You could see them as a poem or perhaps a series of words that capture our times. Here's Romeo to read them. Nervously looking, backward, regret, pandemic, isolation, forward, hope, empathy, community. Yesterday, screens, Zoom, fear, tomorrow, innovation, connectivity, resilience, past, darkness, grief, jabs, future, light, memory, Gratitude, Delta, Omicron, Alpha and Omega, Emmanuel. Remember to remember, confidently looking, learn, dream. We have nothing but today. Carpe diem. Carpe Diem, written and read by the Reverend Romeo Pedro. What did you think? Did the sentiments hit home with you? Because I think there's unquestionably some very powerful and timely expressions in there. So what and who else is in this episode? I don't know if you recall the Overston Pioneer community chaplain, Mel Brown. She was a guest quite early on when we started the podcast on all the fantastic work that's gone on in the new estate over there. Well, Mel, I'm very pleased to say, is back with us to chat about her latest news and how more and more connections and friends are being made. The One Voice Podcast. So, Mel, it's really great to have you back. We last spoke just over a year ago, I think, Christmas 2020, and uh, the the Overston project, as it were. How how has it grown and how has it developed since we since we talked? The project has it's been developing steadily, and I think it's it's been quite eye opening for me going into. Um, mission, if you like, not ever going into a new mission field. So it's all been very new. And I think one of the things that I've really learned is that um, work of this kind takes time. It really does. It's really not a case of us going in and doing things to the community and the community responding right away and just embracing us and we run together. It's really been a case of taking our time and building brick by brick and those bricks really have been in the form of friendship um, the homeowners 
building re relationships with the developers and the sales team and um, with the Anglican Church, just working ecumenically and also actually building relationships with the council, the parish council. Um, so it's been a, a steady work, but it's growing. Um, and we really can see that seeds are budding from the work that we've been doing. And to be honest, in a nutshell, John, it's, it's actually been wonderful. That, it's great, isn't it, that everybody's wanted to be so hands-on, so collaborative. Yeah. Because mm. I think, you know, I don't retire older estates or more established estates with the, the same brush because I know that's not the mm. case. But sometimes I think there can be a, um, you know, a reluctance or a weariness. But there you are, lots of new properties springing up, new people coming mm. into the area. You know, you've mm. overheard some fantastic feedback, haven't you, at the, the Carols by Candlelight. This is wonderful. I've just moved in. Somebody <laughs> said, let's let's have an Easter egg hunt in April. And in <laughs> yeah. capital and bold letters in response, you said, yes. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And I think in terms of what you said about people responding positively, I just think that people can see if you're genuine. You know, that's just what I think. I think it's just simple, John. I think if you're interested in people, I think you, don't, you want to be a part of the community. It's not a hidden agenda. You are hoping that we'll build relationships and then we'll be able to share the love of God, share the message of Jesus. But it's not covert, as it were. We're going in and we just, we want to be friends with the community. We want to help to facilitate their desires, any activities that they would like to see in their community, we're on board for it. And I just think that people, I think they can tell if you're genuine. And hopefully that's what they've seen in us, that we are genuine, that we love being with them. I mean, I love being, I love walking around the community and someone in their car waves and I think, oh my goodness, they know me. Or someone is in their garden and I stop to speak to them and they're speaking to me as though, you know, there is some, a relationship for me. And I just think that people see if you're genuine and the relationship that we have with the Anglican church is one that we work hand in hand. People see that relationship also because we're not, one church working against the other as it were we're really building kingdom and it's been a wonderful relationship and I just think people feel it and um, they're embracing it so we've been getting really good feedback as you said you mentioned the cows by candlelight do you know what John that was so chaotic it really was it was so chaotic <laughs> in that I ended up leading the singing I think the community realized that I really needed help because I couldn't really remember all the tunes of the carols. Um, so they really helped me. And me just being vulnerable, I think they thought, oh my goodness, she needs help. And they really sung and it was wonderful. And in the end, I literally took my mic and I handed it to a mum and daughter and I said, would you like to lead? And they said, yes. And it was just marvelous. And I think just being genuine, being authentic, being vulnerable, I think people respond to that. Yeah, and I, I believe that's what we're seeing. Oh well, it's it's wonderful and very refreshing that you're happy to mm. say publicly it was chaotic. <laughs> well, it was it was messy. It was yeah, John. Yeah. It was so messy, but it was good. Yeah. you know. And the comments that you read that um, so someone had just moved in. She said this is wonderful, and then someone else. I could hear people saying yes. Um, oh, they've done other things. You know, they've had a fun day. They've had given away cakes, and that's when someone said, "Yeah, we would like to have an Easter hunt." in April and I think what it was I think sometimes if we're so structured and we've got it so well put together we don't need help do we mm. 
but they could see that I needed help and I did and they helped me and it just felt wonderful it felt as though we were doing something together and I think if we had a group coming in singing to them I think that's what it would have been it would have been us singing to them but because I literally needed help they sung with me and then I could pass the mic to someone else and she led the singing so I'm more than happy to say it was chaotic it was messy but it was good messy yeah, it was yeah. really really good messy yeah another another version of messy church that you've latched, latched on to oh, messy church <laughs> with adults and children yeah definitely it, it was messy and I've, I've, I've seen this lovely phrase of yours, the seeds of friendship are beginning to bud. And, uh, you know, I think everything you've said is testament to that. There's, uh, while, while we're kind of on the quotes thing, there's, there's that mm -hmm. quote, isn't there? If not done carefully, the church can be experienced by others as the uninvited guest. What, mm -hmm. So what, what is your, I think you've said some of it, but, you know, your mm -hmm. approach, your style, Mel, to, to get around that, you know, in a good way, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. I think um, what my style has been is, um, as you mentioned before, the first thing that I did when I went into, went into the community, I knocked on doors and would just stand on the doorstep talking to people. And I think it's quite amazing. Um, it was amazing to me to see the number of people who are willing to just stand on their doorstep and talk to me. And building on that the more they saw me just walking through the community I think they could see me come becoming a part of the community and then the events that we've had you then tend to just talk to the same people and you start to build relationships and, and what I've done I've just seized opportunity to encourage those relationships to grow so for instance um, people who have given me their mobile phone numbers and things like that I'll um, message them and say hi how are you doing and in one instance if someone says oh my daughter's not been well blah 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 I'll oh, think goodness this is an opportunity for me to um, give a gift to that family so I'll post something through the letterbox I'll post some activities for the children or a chocolate bar for the mum who's stressed or so I, I think it's just like building any relationship it's um the conversations it's the being there it's the showing interest and it's sharing activities together so i think it's been it's grown organically really it's interesting um, isn't it because i think people do respond clearly to to mm -hmm. feeling like they are they are individuals that they count you know we all we yeah. all obviously have to have the collective experience especially when it comes mm -hmm. to formal services and the like and fun days but that yeah. feeling that you are an individual and you mm -hmm. count yeah yeah. And do, do you know what, John, you know, when someone cares about you, don't you? You know, when someone's interested about you or interested in you. And I think we're all like you say, we all just want to know that we're valued, that we count. And I think that that's something that you can pick up on. And I just think as as a child of God, um, I know that I'm valued in so many ways. And if I can pass that on to people that I just engage with, you know, mm. if I can pass it on in conversation or in giving something, I just think it's just such an invaluable gift. And it sounds like, uh, certainly on paper to me, that, or reads like on paper to me, that mm. mums in your area have had mm -hmm. and are having this kind of inspirational and pivotal role because the the fun oh, yeah. day that you had was in inspired I, I think by one of the mums 
this particular mom, I um, messaged her and I said, you know, what would you like to see in the community? So she messaged back and she said a fun day. Now, when I received that text, I thought a fun day? There's no space for a fun day. There's literally a little patch of grass. But I just messaged back and said, yeah, that's great. <laughs> so we liaised, we worked together. And I said, what could this look like? And she, you know, put forward all her ideas. And really, she became the lead on this. I just followed her. Everything she suggested, I said, yeah, we can do that. Let's do it. Let's do it. I think what was wonderful about this was because she lives on the estate, um, everything on Facebook, it was coming from her. So it was almost as though she was saying, let's do this together. This is our estate. Let's do this together. And I took the back seat. I really just helped her in all that she was doing. And the response was really positive. And you'll probably notice that I mentioned that we had a Shetland pony. I would never have imagined when she sent me the message that one of her neighbors would have had a Shetland pony. Well, she did. And she brought her Shetland pony. Uh, the children were able to sit on the pony, take pictures. And it was just wonderful. It felt like community. And I think um, what we're hoping for is that just like at Cows by Candlelight, um, someone suggested an Easter egg hunt. We're hoping that the community will just tell us, what would you like? Because this is your community. This is where you live. We're not coming to say, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? We might have some suggestions, but what we're aiming for is really to hear what they're saying and then to facilitate that. So it's really their desires and their dreams for where they live. I, I like how the Shetland pony seemed to pick up all the glory there. And you didn't, there was no reference yeah. mail to the, uh, a certain distinguished singer from the Kingdom <laughs> Choir that I think you might that's know. So funny. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, the pony, to be honest, was the centre of attention. <laughs> and at one point, all the families were by the pony. And yeah, as you mentioned, my husband who is a member of Kingdom Choir, he came out and he was, he was wonderful. He really did a really good job. And he sung for about half an hour. And do you know, music is just marvelous, isn't it? It really mm. creates a wonderful atmosphere. And the music created such a wonderful atmosphere and people were singing along. But the truth is, I think they were more focused on the pony. It'll be signing autographs next before you know. <laughs> yeah. If only you could do Definitely. joined up. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, well, it, it sounds to me like you know it, things are just growing and growing from strength to strength, and that in, in, certainly in Overston and all around there, with mm. you and the neighbours and the team, that yes is the word, isn't it? Can we do this, Mel? Mm. Yes, can we do? It? And that yeah. the power of that sort of affirmative uh, speaks yeah. for itself. So fantastic to hear that, and uh, yeah, mm. long may it continue. Thanks a lot, Mel. Thank you, John. The Overston pioneer chaplain Mel Brown and the continuing amazing work that's going on over there. Well, what a story we have for you now. The Reverend Dr Raj Patter of the United Stockport Methodist Church describes himself as a Dalit Christian. He's actually a former Lutheran minister who really, I think, understands division and inequality in society. In attaining a PhD, he's achieved something usually denied to those considered to be in the lowest trash of the caste system in India. It is a truly wonderful conversation in which Raj talks about hierarchy, oppression, his multiple identities, and just the sheer resilience that's swelled within him largely because of the qualities that he saw in his parents. 
Let's meet Raj. Thank you, John, for this invitation. And I'm, it's a delight for me to be part of this podcast. Uh, just to tell you about myself and the history that I come from India and I had been a Lutheran minister back home in India, but I came to do my PhD here at the University of Manchester. And after completing my PhD, I started to work with the Methodist Church and I now work with the Methodist Church as a recognized and regarded minister here at the United Stockport Methodist Circuit. It was my grandfather who first became a Christian in our family, having been born and brought up in a Dalit context, which is in the caste system. Dalits are the ones who are born outside of the caste system. So they have been ex-untouchables and outcasts. So for my grandfather, when the gospel of Jesus Christ came through the missionaries, the gospel of Jesus Christ has given him a holistic approach to affirm life and to seek self-dignity and self-respect. In many ways, the gospel that came to my grandfather's generation uh, really strengthened him and he saw to it that he raised his children, my parents' generation, in the Christian faith and with the missionary uh, endeavor, my grandfather was able to work as I mean, they offered education, and so he eventually became a head teacher at an elementary school. So faith and education have been really the family legacies that we have always received. My parents then said, again, faith and education are the two inheritances that they are offering to us. So therefore, that helped me to continue to wrestle with my faith, but also to do a PhD because again, in the, in the system of caste, caste system, knowledge and logic has always been associated with people who were born uh, upper caste or the dominant caste. And they have always looked down on people who were born outside of the caste thinking they can't engage with logic or philosophy. So therefore, it has always been my dream to do a PhD. And that too, studying it at University of Manchester is a huge, huge achievement for me personally and to my entire community, because these three letters, PhD after my name, is in itself an act of resilience to say that people who are born outside of the caste, as I call myself a Dalit Christian, it is an achievement that I'm able to engage in conversation with theorists and with, with theologies, and, I, and then try to bring out a theology of my own. So that brings me here so all I, all I am trying to say is I owe a lot to my ancestors, my grandfather's generation, my parents, to the faith of Jesus Christ, all missionaries have played, and education, which has been a strength for us. So to my two sons, I keep saying these are the two inheritances that we received. So you go and multiply and use to the best, to the best of the society in transforming the society. You know, Raj, there are there are lots more than this, but yeah. there are at least at least two very uh, interesting strands to what you've just said. There, uh, there is the the Dalits people, which I would I'd, I'd like to come to in a moment. But first, you yeah. you alluded to the fact that you were a Lutheran minister. It's not something I don't think this is. I think this is fair to say it's not something we hear a great deal about in this country. But yeah. you know, the the Lutheran doctrine. Can you just sort of shine a light on on the key difference between that and and what we know as as methodism I, I mean again just to a history back home in india when the missionaries brought the gospel of jesus christ 
the missionaries divided it was called a, a an agreement of committee they divided the geographies based on their mission uh, missionary enterprise like so the region where i was born and brought up that fell into the american lutherans but the neighboring one where methodist the neighboring one where anglicans baptist so that's how the missionary is divided and so we fell into it but having been born baptized confirmed uh, and served a lutheran congregation and have been lutheran all myself now working with the methodist church it has been quite a learning experience in in a sense i see that there is this ethic of protestantism within both luther and john wesley's methodism that is an ethic that i see in in common between the lutherans and the methodists in the uk but i also see that there is so much of openness in terms of my ecumenical involvements and there are some few theological differences in terms of communion and how you understand it but fairly we tend to be on a same page and i don't see my lutheran uh, identity to be any hurdle to serve the methodist church because i'm trying to uh, engage with the uh, the context and try to reread my scriptures so which has been my lutheran brought up but it is also very much helpful to understand methodism so uh, i mean not to go into the details of how do you understand the real presence or uh, within the communion and things like that i i see that uh, though i am different i see that to be a strength as i bring in and work within the methodist church you remind me of a conversation that was uh, here fairly recently with christian aid now when they were a guest on the podcast they amongst other things have worked um, with the dalit people who i know was say we we've, we've spoken briefly about uh, the, this link that you have what what kind of of understanding of being disenfranchised has has your connection given you then raj when i think about my identity i keep saying i have multiple belongings and by which i say i am a dalit and a christian uh, i uh, i come from a lutheran church by birth with methodist so there are so many hyphens between that but one of my strong identities is my dalit christian identity i mean to put things into perspective as you know caste system they they are all divided based on hierarchy so there are several theories of how you understand the caste system all i try to see is the dominant caste and the oppressed caste so my family my generation i mean my my ancestors we fall in the in the outcasted section so even today when i go back to my hometown people can know by my family name or by the place where i live to say that i come from a dalit christian uh, location o- over the period of time what has happened is my dalit consciousness only came when i was exposed to the theological studies in a sense we have internalized that oppression we thought okay we were born that way having been exposed to theology and to understand further the gospel of jesus christ that gave me courage to resist such oppressions that are put on us in india uh, dalits who are converted to other religions are given the state affirmative actions but dalits who are converted to either christianity or islam even after 70 years of our indian constitution we are still denied the state affirmative action so what does that do i mean in india as you know there are these affirmative actions which is to encourage people to participate and to provide that equal opportunities but unfortunately because we are denied of it we are unable to move on to the other levels 
but however that that did not stop us what i am trying to say there are several members in my community for whom such a, a state affirmation has created a hurdle not to reach higher higher heights in life so mobility social mobility is one thing that is curtailed because of this disenfranchisement so i i think violence on dalits continues to be on the rise and because you don't have this state affirmative actions the there is so much immunity on the dominant people who try to perpetuate uh, and create violence in the name of caste there are several several stories to repeat uh, of uh, of how oppression in the name of caste continues and it is not something a phenomenon of the old but it is becoming more more discrete it is becoming more fragile and my community continues to be on the receiving end there is of course uh, those clear links to your phd um subaltern public theology was was your focus this idea then of course of the the socioeconomic status of uh, the native as it were in an imperial colony as was mm. were it not for that phd do you think you perhaps would have been blind to uh, some of these injustices now these inequalities that are still going to uh, presumably the phd has brought a lot of enlightenment to you mm. i mean certainly it did i mean uh, as i said phd has always been my dream and when my father and my parents both of them said that faith and education are the inheritances i really wanted to make best use of it and therefore it so happened that i had a call uh, to into ministry and i felt that call and when i went to pursue my theological education it further further and uh, what do you call enlarged my horizon my thinking but as i said my my initial theological exposure gave me that dalit consciousness it further strengthened as i worked with the national council of churches in india or the student christian movement of india and then to my phd it it further gave me a global exposure to the kinds of discriminations and injustices that are done across the world so my phd thesis i worked on a subaltern public theology for india particularly understanding subaltern as dalits in the indian public sphere who are considered to be non public but that helped me to see the different kinds of people who are forced to be non public in various other contexts like in this context poverty still exists in the uk which was startling for me migrants are looked down xenophobia has been increased so with all of this my thesis gave me a lens a methodology to understand what does people who are considered to be a non public are offering in terms of their creativity for the transformation of the society at the beginning of your research uh, and i like this very much your supervisor apparently said to you happy researching and although yeah. that's that's not what you expected to hear necessarily or didn't imagine it would it be it did play out that way didn't it you know you did find it to be a happy experience i mean indeed at the end it was a happy experience but phd all i can say is all about patience perseverance consistency of thought clarity and the way you are able to bring out the argument that you are trying to reach out and i'm really thankful to my supervisor dr peter scott because it was quite a, a, a happy researching journey with him because he always challenged me he made me write my conclusion six times but at the end when i when i cleared my viva straight away i could see the fruit of it because he was really challenging me so though i i felt what does happy researching means 
but the but the end when i cleared my viva and when i was offered my degree i can very well look back and say it has been a happy researching experience the thing is you dedicated your thesis didn't you to your mum and dad who you called yeah. this is probably paraphrasing the quote but real public theologians what what makes them that uh, what makes them so raj i'm really grateful to my parents my dad and my mom because they have sacrificed so much for me and my sisters upbringing and the way they they offered faith and education to us my dad devraj patta he started his career as an english college teacher and then as i said he retired as a principal in a government college but he has been very much active in the church and society so as a public theologian you're not just confined you're not confined but you are willing to engage your career your faith into the public sphere so which i have really seen it in my dad's journey and in my dad's faith experience so he has been a lay leader in the church he has been a, a preacher in the church he has uh, balanced his work life his family life his church life his society life and he continues to be a huge inspiration in my life but having said that i also should tell about my mom indira patta who started her journey as a homemaker but she eventually joined into our local politics she was a councillor in my municipality she served on the congress party at the district level in the women's congress party and then she was a director of an agricultural marketing yard in my town so again the way she carried her faith in the public presence in the public sphere in terms of politics was something very inspiring so both my mom and dad for me have been the unspoken public theologians or the unsung heroes of public theology and they will continue to be an inspiration for me and my, for my children and the generations to come that, that's wonderful and i'm sure they're also equally proud um before i let you go raj the the book that you uh were part of multiple faiths in post-colonial cities can you give us a sort of an overview of what you sought to do in that book this was again at the university of manchester three of us four of us as editors we had a conference and it was a series of conference on life after empire and particularly empire in the epistemology or in the knowledge sake so what what is this post colonial or post colonial kind of knowledge in the cities happens to be so it was a conference with various people's presentations so the book is a compilation of articles from the different presentations and it ranged from several several aspects from how post coloniality is understood in the context of ireland how is it understood in the multi faith space in the uk how it is understood in the context of dalit situations in india how is it is understood in kenya so it has a wide global perspective and try to see what does multiple faiths uh, in a post colonial cities look like today and how can we uh, how can we cohabit together how can we coexist together how can we celebrate this diversity how can we accept one another and how can we continue to offer a contested knowledge from below in trying to address the 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 logic or the empire's knowledge because it has always been said knowledge is power but whose knowledge is power the knowledge of the powerful has always been power but this is an attempt to trying to say not just the knowledge of the powerful is power but knowledge that comes from below knowledge that uh, engages and strives towards a transformation is all helpful and engaging is what this book is all about the reverend dr raj patter talking to me on the one voice podcast 
Thank you to our contributors this month, who were Mel Brown, Raj Patra, of course, and the Reverend Romeo Pedro. If you happen to know of anyone who has a story to tell of how they've helped the community or church or both, please do email me and tell me about it. And we'll try then to feature them on the podcast in the future. My email is john at onairjohn.com, which is spelled john, J-O-H-N, at O-N-A-I-R-J-O-H-N.com. john at onairjohn.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. We'll return in February. And until then, keep well and look after yourself. Stories, community, and what brings us together. This is One Voice.